Mark chapter 7. As you turn there, you think how often we blame other people or other circumstances for what we do, or even what it produces in us. We blame everything outside of us when Scripture tells us that the problem is inside of us. The Pharisees were famous for looking good on the outside. They made themselves look the most religious they possibly could. So people would look at them and say, they indeed are holy people. They are religious people. They must really love God. But as Jesus exposes them uh, constantly saying, woe to you if you just look good on the outside, you are in utter danger. He is constantly harping that warning against the Pharisees who were so proud of their external religion. He was harping a warning against them so that his disciples for generations to come, including us, would not be those who have mere external religion. Who just have, uh, you know, we can paint a good face in the morning, but our hearts are still full of sin and deceitfulness. He is harshly warning against that to the Pharisees. And here we see that. Uh, in our passage this morning, I'm going to read from Mark uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. This is just after the section of where the Pharisees have been complaining about how the disciples didn't wash and do this ceremony, ceremonial uh, cleansing of their hands before they ate. And so flowing out of that comes into this verse here in verse 14 of Mark 7. This is what God's word says. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me. All of you, and understand that there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart? But his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus incredibly calls these, the crowd back, because he had dispersed the crowd, and now he calls the crowd all back again uh, to come and hear him. Verse 14, he called them again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you. Make sure it is crystal clear in your minds that you understand, that you don't just listen with your ears, but that you comprehend. Take this in, he says. He says, not just hear me, but understand what God says. And then he goes into this, uh, really a slap in the face to the Pharisees. Because they were convinced that if their external actions showed they were good and religious and undefiled, therefore they were undefiled. Because they had just been pointing the finger at the disciples uh, and saying they are impure and they are undefiled people. And Jesus says, nope. What undefiles a person is not what you see on the outside. What, what defiles a person is what is within. 
he says they're right to them, right to a slap in the face, and so that everyone, including us, understands. Verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. There is nothing from without that defiles the person. Nothing. No sin that a person does on the outside is what defiles him or makes him impure or makes him guilty or makes him a sinner. Nothing on the outside makes that person a sinner. It's what was inside to begin with. It's what was inside to start. A person with a pure heart is not going to do an impure thing. It's just how it works. So what's on the outside, which might be described as impure or sinful, would not happen for someone with a pure heart. That's what the point is, is you can't have a pure-hearted person do something uh, outside of them that would then therefore make them now they're guilty because they did that thing with their hands. That's not what happens. You may say, well, what about this sin or that sin? Don't those very things make a person guilty or a sinner? Well, in one sense, they're now declared a sinner and it is evident they are a sinner. But rather than the outward sin making them a guilty sinner, it actually shows they were guilty before they even committed the the outside action. They were already guilty in their hearts. You must know that long before someone ever commits adultery in their marriage, their heart was in the wrong spot. Their heart had sinned against their spouse and sinned against God. They don't just, with a pure heart, go and commit adultery. The adultery does not defile them. Cheating on your spouse does not now make you impure. Your heart was impure, and therefore you did this thing or that. Long before you and I ever did whatever, told a lie. It wasn't the lie that made you a guilty sinner. You only told a lie because you were impure of heart. And you, you had a, uh, a desire to um, please people, or you had the fear of man, or you, you wanted to uh, look good. And so therefore, out of that wrong desire of your heart, therefore you lied. So when Jesus says, nothing outside a person will make them impure, they're already impure. That's not the point. Because the, the Pharisees thought, well, if we can just control the outside, then we're good. And they were deceived. That's not how it works. Only outside actions flow from the heart. But that's the Pharisees' problem, is they put on a show on the outside, but their hearts were still rotten. Their hearts were still absolutely rotten. So if they had done something externally, so they ceremonially didn't wash, they were convinced, oh, if you didn't do the proper procedure, therefore you're impure. Well, no, you were already impure of heart, O Pharisee. Just as you and I are impure in heart and therefore do many things, long before we ever do any particular sin, our hearts are plagued with the very root of the sin. We're already defiled at heart. We're already sinners at heart. We had something festering in us, something even so small, yet before the external fruit of sinfulness, there's a sinfulness of heart an impurity, a defilement of heart. There is nothing outside when going in. And so specifically, they, another slap in the face to the Pharisees is they were particular about their food, right? The particular food they ate, they thought could defile a person, make them unholy and unwelcome to God. And Jesus here says the opposite. He says, food will not make you impure and unwelcome to God. 
It does not defile you because you were defiled already. You would never have a pure person commit adultery. You would never have a pure person steal. You would never have a pure person gossip. You would never have a pure person have an anger outburst. That does not flow from a pure heart. So to say that those things are what causes someone to be declared a sinner, declared guilty, is not the case. Jesus flops that on its head, which ought to make people stop and pause and think about how we view ourselves and how we view other people as righteous. Do we think we are righteous because of some external actions? Or do we realize that we are so unrighteous of heart that we ought to come to the cross and only be righteous through Christ? That no matter what we do on the outside, what sort of rules we may follow and procedures we may do, that does not make us righteous. Christ alone, from the inside, declares us righteous. He gives us a new inner man, which is made after the image of himself. We are made in Christ. We are resurrected in Christ. Therefore, righteous internally. That ought to flow out. That ought to flow out. But that doesn't mean we still are not plagued with sinfulness. Of course, we are. But our sin is not what defiles us. You never have a a pure person, you know, tear down other people. You never have a pure person only interested in themselves. You never have a pure person express ingratitude day in and day out. People that struggle with those external sins are already rotten in heart at some place. Our external circumstances, the things that sometimes we say, you know, made me do it, uh, is wrong. It's so wrong for us to try to blame external circumstances for what we become. For me, when I express impatience or anger towards my children, it's not my children who make me angry. My children expose what's in my heart. My impatience and my anger, which is already there, I don't get to say that's from without. It is from within. It's not they are the cause. No, the cause is my rotten heart and they exposed it. Your spouse exposes the, 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 the sin inclinations in you. Near, near friends, hard circumstances always squeeze you to find out what's inside. We don't blame what's outside. It's not the outside that we point to and say, see, that's why. Or see, look, it, I'm only angry here. No, you're not. If you have outbursts of anger, it's from your heart. And the world's just squeezing you to find out that's in there. I did not really... In my pride, I didn't think I was a very selfish person until I was married. I thought, I'm pretty selfless. I thought I gave of myself to other people. I didn't put myself first in any circumstance. I'm saying that knowing that's a prideful statement. And that's also my sin. But it was only when I got married that I realized how selfish I was with my time and my, my everything. And it totally exposes you. So marriage is good for that, to expose you and by God's grace sanctify you. Kids are good to expose anger and impatience of heart, to sanctify you and purify you. But we do not say it's the external things that have made me that way or made me guilty. No, indeed, it is showing what we're made of. Showing the flesh, showing the inner man, the sin nature. The very ways that you and I are prone to sin in different ways. When you are squeezed by circumstance or situation, what comes out? 
That's where we are. Uh, really, we come to realize that it's from the inside that makes me who I am. Who I am. And so the, the problem with the Pharisees is they ignored or they tried to ignore or suppress or thought it did not matter what was on the inside as long as we could put on a good show. And too often Christians are maybe rightly accused of being hypocrites, right? We can sometimes put on a good show or a good face that we are these good, or some people, you know, some of your family might call you goody two shoes or, oh, you never do anything wrong, right? Well, Hopefully we've not given them that impression that we never admit our wrongs, that we never admit our hearts are plagued and defiled. Because we know Scripture does not leave us uh, in the dark here. Scripture exposes our hearts again and again. Let us not be like the Pharisees who think if, if we can just keep up a good show, then we're good with God. That's not the case. For you, it may be pride or envy or greed what comes out of you? What is on the inside that is now seen or evidenced in the fruit of your life? Bitterness of heart. How is that expressed on the outside? And you can't blame someone else for what they've done to you. That's why I'm bitter. No, that's not why you are bitter. You were already bitter in your heart. You already had a rotten part of your heart and that exposed your bitterness. That person exposed your bitterness. Or a gossip You have the desire in your heart to be the know-it-all, to be the one everyone likes. So therefore, you get wrapped up in the external sin of gossip or of lust, what's already in your heart, or abuse, verbal, physical, emotional. What flows from the heart is a desire for control, a wrong desire, and therefore comes out as, well, they made me. They didn't make you do anything. Your heart was already rotten within you. It's what is from within a person that defiles them. Look at verse 17. So then Jesus, he entered the house and left the crowd, and his disciples asked him about the parable. They didn't even understand. And he said to them, Are you also without understanding? You don't understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? And he says, Because, or look at verse 19, Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach. It is the heart that is defiled. Does it not matter what's in the stomach? It's your heart that defiles a person. Whatever goes in your stomach is expelled. It doesn't matter. It's waste. But what goes in your heart produces who you are. It it transforms the type of person you are and fruit comes out of that. Fruit does not come out of your belly. It only produces waste. But what goes in the heart is what matters. Here, again, speaking of the whole stomach and, and the slap in the face of the Pharisees or those Jews who held the tight rules, he had declared this pretty much food clean. In 1 Corinthians 10.25, it's where the Apostle Paul is instructing him, and he says, eat whatever is sold at the meat market without raising question on the ground of conscience, because it's not the meat that will defile you as a person. Or Peter, when he was having this struggle with the Lord, right, in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 14 and 15, when, when the Lord had, had showed him and said, take Peter, eat, eat anything. And Peter said to the Lord, he said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I would not defile myself. And then the voice came again to Peter and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. 
He declared it clean. It's not that that makes you an unclean person. It's an important thing to distinguish also is when a person is convicted a certain way about cleanliness or even a, a, a biblical uh, or what they would say as a Christian ritual, for example, like, you know, if they were adamant about saying the Lord's Prayer every day and, you know, they thought that's how they grew in their faith. Romans 14, I mentioned last week, but it gives us warning about this. In Romans 14, verse 14, it says, Paul, he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That, that everything, the food you could take, the, the stuff that you could partake in, is not unclean itself. That stuff is not unclean. He says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your conscience says that's wrong to do, even though it may not be, gave the example last week of alcohol, even though it's not scripturally prohibited to consume alcohol, if you in your heart think it is wrong, don't do it. That's what the Apostle Paul says. But then further down in Romans 14, he says in verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But, he says, it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats or what he partakes in. You may think it's clean. You may be convicted that it's clean. You may know it's clean. But if the brother or sister beside you is convicted the other way, just abstain. For the sake of their faith, for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of unity, abstain. You don't need to indulge yourself just because it's clean, just because it's not sinful. You can abstain for the sake of another's faith and encourage them along the way and grow in them. Say, yeah, you want, you're doing this to obey God. I want to encourage you in that. I don't want to kind of to trip you up or make you stumble. I want to encourage your faith. And so I'm going to abstain, even though I think it's clean or acceptable. So there's that important distinction that even though all things are clean, it is wrong to partake if it causes a brother or sister to stumble because it's a matter of the heart, both for you and for them. It's not about what they're eating or the days they practice their faith or, or the, the things that they partake in, whether they uh, believe in reciting catechisms or, uh, or doing the Lord's Prayer every day. It's not all those external things that matter. It's where does it flow from? From the heart. There's two things that in that Romans portion that Paul was mentioning is first is the conscience. Is it right or is it wrong in my heart? Has God impressed upon my heart or am I learning and growing? Because sometimes uh, it takes time to kind of grow in our, our discernment, right? And, that, and that's okay. And, and so sometimes you're overcautious or sometimes as a young Christian, you just don't know better yet. But that's where, as brothers or sisters in Christ, we do not uh, accuse or shame another person in their conviction. Instead, we just obey ourselves. We, we encourage them along in the faith, and we walk through Scripture with them so that we do not harm the conscience or the heart of another person because it would be wrong for us to do so, as it would be wrong for them to partake, even if Scripture says it's okay. That's mainly and solely because it's what's inside that counts. Look at verse 20. He says, And what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All of these 
evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Four times in those three verses, Jesus mentions coming from within. It is from the inside out. The inside is what matters. And Jesus said that, you know, when uh, in Matthew chapter 5, a well-known verse where he says, but I tell you, if anyone looks lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. His heart, right? If a man looks lustfully or a woman looks lustfully, they've, they've gone and they've lusted after a person. They've longed after another person's body with their eyes. They only did it because it was already happening in their heart. That's why he says they've already committed adultery in their heart. Their heart was already unfaithful to their spouse or to their God if they are single. Their their heart was unfaithful. It was not a one-woman man. This heart was already longing after something else, some other pleasure or some other peace. And so therefore the eyes wandered because the heart was already wrong. That's why Jesus says, you know, Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. You may have already always wondered about that. Like, how has he committed adultery in his heart? He didn't do anything wrong. She didn't know. His wife might not find out. It's because the heart was wicked and, and, and wrong and defiled already. The heart was already uh, inclined toward adultery, inclined towards breaking a vow, inclined away from his spouse, and therefore looking after other people. It's a matter of the heart. But this is a warning for those of us who maybe just want to justify sin in our hearts alone, right? Well, at least I didn't say that out loud. At least I didn't act on what I was thinking or feeling. I'm good, right? Wrong. Wrong. When Jesus says the man's guilty of adultery in his heart, like, sure, he didn't act out in adultery, but he was guilty of the same inclination, when we don't say things out loud or we hold our tongue or we don't act on the outside and we're proud of ourselves, good for you, you restrain the outside, but you're a Pharisee if you think that your heart's okay, if you think that you're still good. Let's not be Pharisees who only consider the outside actions as whether I'm good or I'm not good, whether I'm holy or not holy. What does your heart do and are you okay with that? Are you okay that your heart is longing or even have the inkling of thought to do such a thing? Let us not do that. Well, at least they're not aware that I'm bitter. Isn't that okay? No, it's not. The heart's bitter and it's wrong to be bitter against someone. At least I didn't cheat or at least I didn't hit the person or at least I didn't do whatever. The list goes on and on and on. But Jesus covers that. Here when he says in verse 21, from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Often we think we can excuse ourselves because we didn't say that mean thing out loud. But here he's saying it's wrong because out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Your thoughts ought to be accountable to God as well. We ought to think that way because the Pharisees did not. They had evil thoughts left, right and center about, oh, those pagans or those people who aren't as spiritual or holy as me. J.C. Ryle says, from within us, the beginning of every sin under heaven. We have in us the beginning of every sin. You and I are just have just the same ability to sin in every way that you think is the most grotesque way of sinning against God and others. It's possible. 
You are a human, like Hitler was a human. Your heart has, without God's restraint, the same ability to commit such grievous sins. Let us not forget that. The Pharisees seemed to forget that fact when they thought they could control what everyone saw, that they were holy. They were not holy at all. So that's why Jesus, in his solution to the uh, lusting man, his solution is extreme. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose, lose one of your members than your whole body to go to hell. Why would he say such an extreme thing? Because if you are willing to pluck out your eye, if you are willing to cut off your hand, you are willing of your heart to rid yourself of sin, to hate sin from heart. You would not just cut off your hand without a will to do it. You would not just pluck out your eye without a will to do it. So that's why the extreme circumstance and we need that extreme in the heart because how many times do we think that we can just fake a solution that's easy? Force yourself to say sorry. Force yourself to bite your tongue. Force yourself to walk away when you're fuming angry. It's easy to, to think that we've got everything under control when here he says, yeah, but is the will of your heart so strong to rid yourself of that sin that you would go to the extreme of cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye? Where's the will of your heart against your sin? Nothing that you can fake, but something with great cost and great pain to you. There's no need to have the heart behind something that takes no effort. Your heart doesn't need to be behind a fake I'm sorry or apologizing to your wife for the hundredth time for shouting. You don't need to have a heart behind that. You just... Is lip service. Exactly how the Pharisees worshipped was with lip service, not of the heart. But in the same way that the heart is exposed of, of wickedness from the external circumstances, the same way is when we are presented when, with an external evil, when then we have the failures of sin come out, we also have the heart being exposed when it's presented with opportunities at costly or painful things for the sake of doing what's right. The heart is exposed then. If it's going to cost you your hand to do what is right, your heart's going to be exposed. How much do you want to do what is right? Do you want to do what is right? We have this biblical example in uh, uh, King Solomon, the greatest, wisest king there was, when there was these two women, these two prostitutes who had babies, and the one had rolled over on her baby in the night, and it had died. So she stole the other one, woman's baby. And then the mother of this child, they both come to the king, and she says, that's, that's my baby. Her baby's actually the dead one. And the woman says, no, it's, no, this is my baby. Your baby's dead. So King Solomon in his wisdom says, get me a sword. He says, I'm going to cut the baby in two, and you can divide it among yourselves. Well, the, the mother, whose heart was for that baby, said, no, never mind. She can have her. She can have the baby. That mother's heart compelled her to do what was hard and painful because it was right. 
But the wicked woman said, yeah, cut the baby in two. The heart is exposed when it is pressed even to do what is right. The passage in 1 Kings where it mentions that woman, the woman whose son was alive said, because her heart yearned for her son, she said, let the other lady have him. I want him to live. Her heart yearned. Does our heart yearn to do what is right? Because it's from our heart that either we are defiled or either we are holy and longing after God. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's praying for the Colossian church, I want you to hear, I'm going to read it, and I want you to hear how he's not praying for all the external things that we often pray for, but he's praying for their hearts. Uh, because it is out of the heart that flows all other good and fruitful things. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 1, the beginning of verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, And so from the day we heard of you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that your heart might be in tune, right? So that you may know what God says is right. So you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, with all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That passage is great because he gives kind of the, the final reason is he has qualified you. He has delivered you. And so we want you to increase in knowledge of his will, of his way, and have your heart be overflowing with thanksgiving towards him. Because that, he says, in turn, makes your walk worthy of the Lord. It pleases the Lord the way you bear fruit for the Lord. All the externals flow from your appreciation of the Lord, your understanding of the Lord. So he says further down in Colossians in chapter 3, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, first off, compassionate hearts. Hearts. Listen to the list of things we're to put on as Christians. It does not sound like a lot of external actions to me. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And listen, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed are called in one body, be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and songs and hymns and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because it is from there that all of these other things that he tells you to put on, they, they flow from and they produce in this fruit for God. The Pharisees had it all backwards. They think that if you can just act holy enough on the outside, it's going to make you holy on the inside. 
Let's never fall into that trap. Let's never fall into that trap. But instead we need God when we realize how unholy we are or how sinful we have been or how guilty we are. Let us not try to make up for it on the outside. Let's come to God with honesty and say, God, you know what's inside of me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. We come and we say, I need you to purify my heart again and again. And I need to remember how you purify my heart. It's not because of what I've done, but it's by grace alone. And I'm expressing my faith alone in Christ alone to change me, to transform me. Let's take the gospel to work every day in our hearts so that we do not become Pharisees. The Pharisees neglected the gospel and therefore they will perish for all eternity because they will still be guilty of heart. Let us take the gospel, have it work in our hearts every day, realizing that it is God alone who transforms the heart from the inside out. May we bear fruit for him because that's where we are defiled or pure is in the heart, as Jesus said. Let's be people who honor him, not just externally, but internally too. Let me pray. Well, Father, you are a holy God with high and perfect standards. We are an unholy and impure and defiled people. And God, we could try to make up for that. We could try to do, but that is wrong in every regard because it is a slap in your face because it's not worthy. But you alone are worthy, and Christ alone was worthy. He was the worthy lamb who was slain on, on our behalf, the one who took our sins, our record of wrong on his own account, so that we may be declared righteous by him, not because of something we have done on the outside, but something you have done inside of us. Thank you for uh, the gospel. Thank you for how you transform our hearts so that we may, uh, by your grace and through your help, produce fruits of righteousness. Thank you for the love that you show towards us, even when we fail day in and day out. Thank you for how you care for us so tenderly, and pray that we will be transformed through our gratitude towards you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.